0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us today. A little later in the show, we're going to hear from two of our members of the Washington Delegation, From Michigan, we're going to hear from Democrat Rashida Tlaib, an upstart freshman member of the House of Representatives, somebody who's gotten a lot of attention for the things that she's said already about the president and the shutdown. She's going to join us to give us the update uh, as the government is back open on how Democrats plan to keep it open. Can they reach a deal with President Donald Trump over the next three weeks to make sure that the temporary reopening of the government becomes permanent. Uh, We're also gonna talk with Fred Upton, who is a Republican member of Congress from Southwest Michigan. Uh, We're gonna hear from his side of things. What do the Republicans think about the way Donald Trump is behaving? What do they think they need to do to convince him to keep government open? So you're gonna wanna stay tuned to those conversations. They will get started at just about half past the hour. But first today, over the past month, we've watched, sometimes in horror, As life became unaffordable for the hundreds of thousands who were furloughed or working without pay because of the federal shutdown. But we can't say all of that is really surprising, can we? How many of us live paycheck to paycheck and would be unable to maintain much of our lives if we experienced financial disruption? Now that the shutdown is over, that question is still out there lingering. Is being an American affordable? And are we doing the things in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and 50s to be sure that when we retire, we don't live in poverty? Elizabeth White is the author of a new book called 55 Underemployed and Faking Normal. And in it, she takes a look at the growing insecurity, financial insecurity for elder America and makes some suggestions about how we might do better. Elizabeth White, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Stephen.
0: So Happy to be here. I, I, I'm curious first uh, what what drew you to this subject? What was it that said I really need to write a book about the way that we prepare for our next lives after work uh, or our late lives in work and what what led you to the conclusion that we're just not doing very well with that?
1: So this book is not a research project. I'm actually writing about my lived experience.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm someone, I have really good background, Harvard MBA, Master's in International Studies from Johns Hopkins, Oberlin undergraduate, worked at the World Bank. And when I got to be in my 50s, after uh, two very good consultancies that I got in uh, the early 2000s that uh, gave me a high income, When the recession hit in 2008, 2009, I lost both those jobs within six months. I was in my mid fifties then, and my phone just stopped ringing. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised as someone with my uh, background, I had a really robust network, but one of the things that happens when you uh, are in your mid fifties, your network, your, your, uh, network is usually about 10 years older and 10 years younger. And so I had uh, sponsors and mentors who were in their mid-60s. Some had uh, retired already. Some didn't have the juice that they used to have. And some had even died. So I didn't, I had that kind of network that I would hear about jobs before they were even posted. And all of a sudden, I wasn't uh, getting any return calls. And I just didn't have the traction that I used to have. I started noticing that friends of mine, uh, similar backgrounds, were also struggling. So how do you know that? You're in the car with someone, and they're suddenly putting $6 of gas in their SUV. That's a clue. Mm-hmm. You're with someone who would normally order a glass of Chardonnay, and they're now ordering mineral water or you find out that the reason someone did not invite you into their home is they have some plumbing issue they're embarrassed about and can't afford to repair. So I wrote an essay describing what is it like to land here when you've had career choice, a decent income, and all of a sudden you're looking at downward mobility, and your face is pressed up against the glass, and you're looking in at a life, that no longer looks possible and it's because the uh traction not getting the traction it goes weeks and then months and then you're into over a year and you're running through your money and nowadays if you're in good health in your mid-50s you've got another 25 years to live and I'll give you one statistic I think is really uh, important here. The median retirement savings for near retirees in this country is $15,000. If you even go to middle-income Americans, the median retirement savings is $60,000. Compare that to the 25, 30 years you're going to live. that math doesn't work.
0: How do you make that work? You know, that that fear that you talk about of being in your 50s, for instance, and finding yourself – out of the work that you had for maybe even several decades and looking for something new. That's very common. We hear about that uh, all the time. What is it that you imagine is driving that insecurity? Uh, Why is that happening to more people now than it used to?
1: So we're living a lot longer. When Social Security was introduced in 1935, Life expectancy was something like 61 years old. So you got your Social Security, you were only alive for a few more years, and then you died. Now, you're going to be alive decades. We're going to work for 40 years, and you have to have enough money to live another 30. And most people, now that we don't have pensions, we have this, um, you know, the 401K uh, retirement, system, most people are not able to save consistently over 40 years enough money to be not working for 30 years. Just that does not work. And I think a key thing that I learned after um, I landed here myself and then started hearing from a lot of people, this is not just a pesky little boomer problem. Gen Xers don't have pensions, and neither do millennials. And so boomers, we're just the first hmm. to deal with this in such big numbers. Yeah. Uh,
0: as American industries shift to service-based and computer-based lines of work, there's a sense that uh, even younger workers are you know, uh, more desirable and more affordable to employ, but also more at risk. Uh, is, is that one of the things driving this as well?
1: Yeah, so when I say not a pesky little boomer problem, <laughs> many of the uh, challenges that older adults are facing, younger adults are facing as well. So stagnant uh, wages, they're also facing escalating cost in uh, healthcare and housing, plus this trillion and a half dollars of debt, of education debt. So we're in the same boat and we're not having a national conversation about it.
0: And and what should that conversation look like? What are some of the things we should be thinking about and talking about that would better prepare people for late work, uh, late work in their 50s and 60s perhaps, but also for retirement?
1: So I think the first thing we have to do is to recognize that we're not alone. This is this whole um, uh, challenge and situation is shrouded in shame and embarrassment. We have been, uh, you know, we've accepted this view of retirement where we're going to all, uh, I call it the positive aging happy talk. You see uh, couples clinking glasses on cruise ships, you see beaming boomers standing in front of their recently bought pizza parlor or golfing in uh, Florida. That um, model makes people then who are not uh, facing that sort of reality or that sort of situation, they're embarrassed about where they've landed. So I think it's first important that we recognize that we are not alone And the second thing, my book is about what do we do in the meantime as individuals, because the systemic things, the big, uh, you know, no longer having pension, stagnant wages, the things that are big like that, many of us are dealing with what's happening to us now. So there's also the recognition of, I say, the cavalry is not coming, so there's no rest. And I've had to personally really reevaluate how I'm living. I mean, way beyond just the budget. Uh, I've had to get off my throne. Uh, I've had the kind of background where I have uh, flown Concord even in the past, traveled internationally, business class and first class. The last meeting I had in New York, I took the bus. And was I going to miss an important meeting because I couldn't be on the excella I had to make <laughs> that change. I have, in the past, gotten a roommate. And do you think I wanted a roommate? I had to do what I needed to do to go another route. So my book is really about the mindset shift that many of us are going to have to make to deal with this new normal and it asks, how can we have a textured, connected, and good life on a much more modest income? So that really means thinking beyond things and thinking about what do I need? What do you need to feel grounded and content? And that's going to differ. So I know a couple, for example, uh, they're sort of foodies. And they, if they eat out occasionally, they get one entree and they divide it. Now, to you or someone else who doesn't care about food and they think that's a waste of money, that's what brings them joy. Another friend who is a musician, drives raggedy cars, but will spend thousands of dollars, say thousands of dollars to buy a flute because that's what brings him joy. Mm because we're not going to be able to do the impulse purchasing, you know, we've done, um, uh, many of us in the past. So the book is about how do you, when the big systemic things are going to take years to solve, but you're living now, how do you go on in the meantime?
0: Right, Uh, My guest is Elizabeth White. She is the author of 55 Underemployed and Faking Normal. We're having a conversation about how prepared we are as Americans for life in our late 50s or 60s or 70s when we're getting to those late work years and then, of course, to retirement. Are we preparing ourselves for that? Are we going to be okay when we lose our paychecks and have to rely either on our savings or on uh, Social Security. In the book, she talks about the growing numbers of elder people who are living in poverty. In fact, she says that we've seen rates of this uh, poverty for older people not since the Great Depression, and that by 2035, 20 million will be in poverty. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Are you near retirement or recently retired? What has the workforce looked like for you the past few years, and do you feel financially prepared for what you're facing? Are you financially prepared to retire from the workforce and maintain the lifestyle that you have? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation Megan on Twitter says uh, most people under 45 assume we'll never really retire Great Recession killed house value baby boomers are destroying government benefits um, Elizabeth before we get to the phones I, I want to ask you about expectations uh, and and the way that expectations are shaped and driven in this country and how much they've changed. Uh, I can remember my grandparents uh, buying one house, for instance, in mm. their in their lifetime, uh, holding on to that house for almost thirty years, and then selling it uh, and and using that money to build a retirement home. Now uh, I, I'm on the fifth or sixth house that I've <laughs> I've uh, uh, lived in and and, and owned, uh, and there's this expectation. Uh, that people have that every three to five years you buy a new house and an upgrade, uh, th- there is something different about what we what we believe we should be able to do or have uh, than there was for the generations that came before us.
1: And I think that um, even with the, the housing market uh, in the book, you'll I, I look. At, uh, different cities it had we haven't had the recovery everywhere mm-hmm. that um, you know I'm in DC where uh, we were not as impacted as some other places but the house housing has not proven to be the uh, big uh, nest egg that many people had hoped for and I think for Millennials uh, not buying houses at nearly the same rate that, uh, you know, the millennials are our children. I'm 65 now, uh, that we did don't have the down payment, don't have the kind of jobs that would, uh, allow them to do that. And I just want to comment on the caller, uh, about this boomers, you know, destroying everything. Mm. Um, I, actually want us to sort of walk all the way around the table. I think it's actually not a helpful uh, position. We are in this together, and I think that when we realize that, that we are all facing stagnant wages, these rising costs, Uh, no one, very few people will have pensions. And we've even seen with the furlough, government workers do have pensions, but we see even uh, with um, families missing two paychecks, how dire and how quickly it becomes dire for families. So we are um, in a situation where I think the furlough has sort of uh, exposed some of the fragility Uh, of the American dream Uh, that even if you have a good government job you know we've all heard that if you had a good government job you were actually safe and you know I think people would think that uh, government workers could maybe go a little longer than to uh, paychecks but we see that actually 80% of Americans cannot miss a paycheck or two without being in a serious situation so I'm not for pitting generations against uh, generations. Um, I see that if we join together and we start to demand more from our institutions, demand more from uh, our legislators, that we will get further. And one, uh, you had asked before about what's happening to people in their 50s. There was a great... Uh, analysis study done by ProPublica and Urban Institute Uh, the results just a a few weeks ago where they basically uh, found that most Americans in their 50s will be shoved out of the workplace Uh, and white collar, blue collar that this is a very very common experience and that of those who are shoved out of the workforce, and it's more than 50%, only 10% ever get jobs again that are equal, equal to the jobs that they were pushed out of. That they
0: lost, sure.
1: That they lost. And so there is a rampant age discrimination. All these people did not suddenly become incompetent, lazy, and ineffective workers. Um, You know, so one kind of um, uh, institutional thing I think could happen is that in 2009, there was a Supreme Court decision that weakened the age discrimination law significantly. I think it was called, uh, I think it's Gross versus FDL Financial Services. I think I have that right. Mm. And there's now bipartisan... Uh, proposal, uh, proposed legislation to actually strengthen it again. So what the Supreme Court decision did is make it so that it used to be you you had to prove that age discrimination was one of the factors right. that resulted in you being targeted. Now you have to prove that it was the, the factor. factor, yes, the yeah. main factor. And it's not like an employer is going to say, oh, you're an old guy, that's why I didn't hire you. You'll never get... It's going to be very hard to prove that. So when it was weakened with this 2009 decision, it made it much harder for people to
2: prove
1: what we now know is happening to millions of Americans in their 50s. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Daniel. Uh, What's on your mind, Daniel.
2: Excuse me. I was, uh, I also was uh, unemployed in 2010 and in my uh, late 40s, headed for 50s. And uh, I was fielding a lot of offers that were a lot less than I was making, 50% of what I was making. What I decided to do was take a sales job, uh, making 50% less, knowing that I was going to get commissions. I worked my tail off and I doubled. My salary the first year increased it by 20% the second year. But my real point here is I think that the downturn in the economy has better prepared us for the future. I know me personally, I am financially better off today than I was when the stock market crashed.
0: And you feel like I'm that's more
2: frugal, I'm spending less money. I'm really watching my pennies, and I have more in the bank now than I did
0: then. Wow. Wow, Daniel, that's great news, uh, and and good for you for taking that downturn and making it into something that, that uh, makes you better prepared. Uh, of course, Elizabeth White, uh, w- we hear all the time, though, from people who didn't necessarily Uh, do those things, who didn't change their habits after the Great Recession and uh, are still spending every dollar that they make?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually not hearing from people who did not change. The Mm. economics of aging forced people to change. What I'm I'm not hearing is uh, this example that your caller uh, made as sort of the – dominant trend where people are uh, losing their jobs, fielding offers that are much less, and then going into uh, sales, which is entrepreneurial. Some Mm -hmm. people are really uh, good at that and could make those commissions, but there are many people who are not sort of entrepreneurial by nature. They've had W-2s their whole life, uh, don't, don't have the background to do that. So, I am hearing, though, so, people, uh, drastic changes in how they are spending. I, 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 it's, in fact, I can't even think of a single example where someone is uh, facing what I'm describing and spending like they used to. They just hmm. don't have the means to do it.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay, Elizabeth White, author of 55, Underemployed, and Faking Normal. It was really great to have you here for this conversation on Detroit Today.
1: No, thank
0: you so much. Up next, we're going to have Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib join us to talk about what is next in Washington now that the government is back open at least for three weeks. Stay with us for that. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and then you can take us with you and listen whenever you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.